Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 27 in the Valley of Ella from 2007. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today to talk about this movie, again, like, I don't, I'm assuming you picked these movies because you'd seen them before, but I feel like your success rate of, like, good movies, even if North Country is not one that we want to watch again, is astoundingly high. It's Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hey, hey, thanks. Had you seen this movie before? I had not seen this movie before. Mike, had you seen this before? Well, had anyone even heard of this movie before? Oh, I'd yeah. heard of it, yeah. You, you guys had? Okay, I mean, uh, I'd never heard of it before. This is the first time seeing it, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, Paul Haggis in the house here tonight. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea what it was about. Uh, I didn't know, mm-hmm, like, yeah. in, in the opening credits when they have, it's like, the walkie-talkie, and I'm just like, is this a war movie? And it, it is, but it's not really a war movie, it's like a post-war movie, which is, I think, unique. Even if this movie smashes you over the head with, like, hey, war is bad, I still really, really liked it. Yeah, this is a movie that I had my eye on from the time it came out. This We recently recorded a podcast at the point we are recording this, Joey, where you talked about the kind of movies that hit all your buttons. And yes. this hits a lot of mine. There's a, some, there's a murder mystery. There's kind of an old cantankerous guy paired with a sort of <laughs> young, a spunky uh, upstart shot detective, you know, like yep. all, all this, the, there's so much of this movie was, is up my alley. And I remember as it was coming out, I thinking, Oh, I wish I'd gotten to that story first. Cause that sounds like a great story. So it had, it had always been on my radar, but I had never actually I never actually seen it. So that's why I picked it was mostly just so that I had an excuse to finally sit down and watch it. And did it live up to your hype? You know, I remember as it came out, the reviews were not good. It, this movie did not do really? well. Really? No. And so I'd always thought, well, there's some stink on this movie. I wonder if it's just not very good. I think it's Scientologist sort of <laughs> trashing <laughs> haggis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and, it, and I think that so, so I really liked it. I like this. I kept writing yeah. my notes. I think I'm really liking this movie. I. Think <laughs> I think it probably it was uh, war movie fatigue in 2007 when this came out. There, probably. There were, there were, I remember there were friends of mine in film school. We were all sort of graduating film school at about this time. And they, some of them had been in the military pre-9-11. And they were out pitching military movies and nobody wanted to touch it because they weren't doing well. Mm. Nobody was going to, to them. So I wonder if this movie was – I think I think part of the problem is, is the time that this movie was made. I think it was probably made too soon. Yeah, I, I was really caught off guard with this movie. I also thought um, it was just going to sort of be – like a war film i like how it's this detective story really like it's it almost feels like an old guy coming out of retirement to do one last job type Mm -hmm. of movie also (laughs) to me tommy lee jones is just great like he can carry he carries this whole thing like with ease i feel yeah it's just i really like the pace i like the way it focuses on certain things and yeah i don't know it just i um i like the whole vibe that's going on here i don't i feel like it's kind of uh, I feel like we don't really get a lot of um, films quite like this like a movie that came to mind watching this believe it or not was something like Michael Clayton or something like that you know what I'm saying like that also has like a specific type of focus to it as well I also was just writing down every so often like this is good. Like this is good. Like I like this. Like I'm really, I'm really glad that uh, that this film came up because man, I think we had a stretch there for a while. We where, did. You know, hope was getting lost in the dark. Yes. And this is a, a shining light. So this was nice. This movie reminded me a lot of Wind River. Okay. Which I yeah. think because it's again where it's like unclear sort of whose jurisdiction it is like whether it's local cops whether it's maybe you know in that movie like Native Americans mm-hmm. or or you know. Yeah. 
maybe it's the FBI or whatever, and then here, you know, they're fighting, they're basically all passing the buck back and forth, like, oh, I don't want this, you don't want this, whatever. We even have a background chief in Josh Brolin, who's yeah. popping his head in for a couple scenes, <laughs> the same year that he made No Country with Tommy Lee Jones, so, like, that's, like, oh. another, like, they were, I think they were both shooting in, like, New Mexico-ish, so I think it was probably mm. around the same time, and they just were there, and I think there was just oh. more than those two. He's got the mustache. He's wearing yeah. the, the mustache there, so I saw it that much, yeah. It, you know, it's whether it's in the 70s or the 80s or whatever, or today, you know, it's the mustache is always in style with Josh Brolin. <laughs> but I really liked that sort of kind of operating outside the law because the law doesn't want to do what the law is supposed to do, mm-hmm. and I liked that element of it. What I think is interesting about this is that the IMDb score is like a 7-2, which is really high, like really, really mm-hmm. high for a movie, yet... I think this also comes into what Toto was saying before about the war fatigue. There's only one Oscar nomination for this entire movie, and it's Tommy Lee Jones for Best Lead Actor, which he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis for There Will Be Blood. But what's remarkable about that, which I didn't realize, is that on IMDb it says, this is the only movie in Tommy Lee Jones' career that he was nominated for an Oscar that the movie wasn't also nominated for Best Picture. So I feel Hmm. like that was almost begrudgingly. I mean, I don't know how... I I I feel like the Academy is like, take it for what it's worth or whatever, but it feels like oh, like, this is a prestige movie, we need to recognize it, but, like, we don't right. actually want to recognize it, so, like, mm-hmm. we'll just throw, like, a nod his way in a category that everybody knows is going to Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, it just feels maybe like that, but yeah. I feel like it should have gotten more. I don't know where it could have gotten more. Like, I don't know if Charlize deserved mm-hmm. a no- an, an Oscar nomination for this because it really is his movie, but, like, she's really, really good in this movie. Yeah, it's hard to say without reading the screenplay, really, if that was should have been nominated, but I really feel like Haggis as a director in this movie is doing some really good, subtle stuff, mm-hmm. especially with Susan Sarandon. Like, mm-hmm. my God, like, she breaks my heart in this movie. So, yeah, it is a little strange. I mean, it's just, you know, there will be blood that is hard to top, so I don't know. But yeah. also, I think, like, seeing an old guy run around for two hours, like, that might have just, I'm not, it doesn't turn me off. Like, I love movies like The Limey, of course, you know, yes. but even, like, Death Wish and stuff. That might have been a little bit, I even thought that this movie could have shaved maybe 15 minutes minutes off the running time uh, if you're like not really into this I feel like you could tune out pretty quickly mm. so it feels more like a specific t- it doesn't really feel to me like an Oscar film for that reason I guess but definitely with the performance Tommy Lee Jones is is putting in a stellar performance here I think it feels like an Oscar film maybe that's just me I don't know we can see what Tobin thinks but mm-hmm. It also gave me sort of shades of Zero Dark Thirty in ways. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, speaking of an old man running around, originally it was supposed to be Clint Eastwood in the lead role. Oh, sure, sure. And then he turned it down, even though he liked the script, and he's like, I recommend Tommy Lee Jones, and so he did this. But, you know, Clint Eastwood had directed Million Dollar Baby, which Paul Haggis wrote, and so they had that connection there, and he wanted him for this movie, and he's like, no, 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 I really like... I don't know why it didn't... IMDb didn't say, but... He, but also Clint Eastwood apparently was so he liked this script so much that he helped make get this movie get made so okay. you know he's sort of behind the scenes I think I don't know if he's a producer on it I don't know what but uh, he really helped get this made but I think you know in terms of Mike what you were saying like an old man running around like you know Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones are probably one and one A in terms of like those yeah. in Hollywood <laughs> like you know just like Tommy Lee Jones drops like a hard like he, he calls like that uh, what's his oh, name yeah. um, Ortiz like a, a wetback 
like a real yeah, like real yeah. aggressively. I was like, whoa, like yes. where'd that come? Like you can see he's angry, but like that comes out and just like, whoa, okay. It's interesting you mentioned Zero Dark Thirty. Did you see that Mark Bull is the writer of that movie is credited with the story credit on this? No, okay, oh, okay. I was sort of wondered as I was watching the movie, I was trying to parse what was his work from what was Paul Haggis's work because Paul Haggis has screenplay credit, but they share a story by credit. So, and I'm not sure. Um, I wonder if Mark Bull's history as a journalist because I know it's based on like a magazine article or something what how that connected to it but anyway I was trying to I was trying to sort of see what might have been him what might have been Haggis's I do think that you know this is his follow-up feature to Crash uh, a movie that I do not care for uh, very, very, <laughs> yeah. very, very, very strongly. Uh, but, it, but but he's coming off of a big Oscar win. So it makes sense that this would be a movie that would have Oscar prestige. Aspirations? Yeah, aspirations. That's the right mm-hmm. way. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder, I'm, I'm sort of curious that there is that there wasn't a Susan Sarandon nomination, that there wasn't a screenplay nomination. Those would be the other two that I would imagine might have, have come up in a different year. It just could have been he made such an impact with Crash. People were expecting something more along that line and they get like a more straight laced sort of like almost an, a noirish kind of you know procedural kind of thing going on here so mm-hmm. I, I don't know maybe it, like they're very like yeah it's very hard to read the academy they're, they could be fickle sometimes like that and just oh it's just not what we want from you so right. we're not going to nominate you kind of thing which is unfortunate and I feel like that's another thing about this like people may have just written it off because they thought it was like a, a war film quote unquote and it's really not like it's about war and it's about soldiers and military lifestyle and and that kind of thing but it's about America and you know it's about home and stuff like like I've you know what I'm saying it's about coming mm-hmm. back from war I mean it's just I mean it could be just as traumatic obviously but I just feel like I don't know maybe it was something in the marketing or just word of mouth that people or even the title itself which is somewhat hard to pronounce and and, and everything it's just not a, an extremely yeah. marketable sort of right. um, show I wonder I'm gonna look up right now because I didn't look it up in the Valley of Ella box office budget not here only made six million dollars domestic yeah, and made another 22 worldwide that's not so made under 30 movie. yeah <laughs> in the valley of ella budget 23 million maybe possibly broke even probably not but right we were sort of not joking but you know in past episodes i think when we were talking about north country and you know the last episode that mike and i did about arrested development mm-hmm. when we were talking about the next movie we're doing is in the valley of ella we're like is it ella is it ela is it mm-hmm. Allah? like we mm-hmm. don't know what it is it's a very fitting title in that it is the valley that Goliath walks through every day to challenge somebody in the Bible that David eventually kills him. Right. But it, like, it works metaphorically really, really well, but it's also mentioned once in the movie and very difficult to pronounce. And it just if that's like a, a, a battle that Paul Haggis won with the studio, maybe he should have lost that battle. Like, I don't know <laughs> what you rename this to be, but like something more marketable probably would have been good. Yeah, it falls into that category. I always think of Hudsucker Proxy. I don't know if you guys seen that Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love it. it. Yeah. It is such a good movie, and there, a lot of I know there's been a lot of talk over the years that the the title may have doomed that movie at the box office because people don't know what it, how to pronounce it, what it is. And I, I think that maybe that this movie had enough of a hurdle, given that it's a it's a kind of downer movie set it in the middle of a war that we are we're currently fighting at the time. And I think that that all those things combined, I wonder you're right if a different, maybe even more more noiry title might have might have changed its fortunes. I don't know. I wonder. It's tough because to me that scene is amazing in the movie. Like there's such a power 
powerful scene. So I could understand why he'd want to sort of take a line from that or use that as like the scent. Like when you get to that scene and you're like, oh, that's where the title comes from. You know what I mean? Like it feels mm-hmm. like a revelatory scene in that way that like a screenwriter is like, here's where the title comes in or something. Right. And, yeah, and but I, like, could you I also like, like it, name it like but, Goliath in that way? Well, yeah. Like, well, could... that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I, I think he, you know, it's that it's such a powerful scene. Like maybe it just sort of like overwhelmed everything, and it just like, oh, like since this is what the whole movie's about like it's a perfect for the title but like sometimes that's just not always correct and stuff but yeah it's too bad though because it's amazing how make or break something like that can be and again this is a movie people should have seen because it's really good yeah let's talk about Charlize who plays a detective who has quote fucked her way to the top if you ask her terrible terrible office mates and she is relegated to have all of like they she's just hated because she's a woman like she's I guess younger than them probably but also not really younger than like she's not like a rookie cop she just went from traffic to detective because you know they think because she's a woman but she thinks because and probably right because she has the investigative skills or whatever but they still stick her with the terrible cases of like a guy drowning his dog, which comes back in a terrible, terrible way later, or, you know, the chicken farm or the chicken warehouse worker that plucks chickens' eyes out or stabs their eyes out. Not only do they do that, but they make fun of her and they, like, make animal noises and just make her life miserable. I mean, this is, like, the closest to North Country we've gotten, I think, in (laughs) any other Charlize movie, just, like, (laughs) workplace harassment. Like, didn't that battle mean anything? But I guess not. What I thought was weird, and there's a long way to get here, but what I thought was weird was that Tommy Lee Jones takes her out to where his son we also haven't explained what the movie's about but he takes he takes her out to where his son was found dead and dismembered and uses his own like you know Batman Arkham Knight vision to like hey this is where <laughs> this the blood was and this is where the drag pattern was and like this is exactly what happened and then she basically quotes him to the cops like well if you guys were real cops you would have known this and I'm like that doesn't feel like she has any power here like it just sort of feels like she's just mimicking but then as the movie goes mm-hmm. on she's great and like she's a really good cop and i like i got like a real charge out of like a couple like she's got a couple speeches like an interrogation and stuff i was like fuck yeah like yes you can see why she took this role. Those inter- that there's an that Absolutely. as you say that interrogation scene. There's there's a confrontation she has with Jason Patrick near the end of the movie. Yes, that, yeah. That she just there are close-ups in that scene that are some of the best work I've ever seen out of her, uh, and and I've seen her do you know a lot of really good stuff. So yeah, I, th- she's really remarkable in this movie. It is a slow start for her character. You're right. It feels to me a little bit like what t- like she is stuck in a rut. Not that she's not good, but she's just sort of. She's been hamstrung by the institutional and de facto yep. sexism and misogyny in her department. And then yep. she has this so Charmley Jones kind of jolts her out of that, right? Like mm-hmm. by pointing out these things. And it's not she doesn't just believe him, she follows the drag marks herself, you know. So yeah. she, she she then sort of follows follows through on it. But it is a you know, you have to stick with the movie to get to those scenes. Yeah, I really feel like when you first see her it's a really powerful image like she just looks like exhausted you know Mm, (laughs) like mm. demoralized and it's all just like red like all over her and it's interesting Joey something about like what you said sort of before about like the whole jurisdiction going on here like it almost reminds me a bit of like Copland and like how frustrating it must be for the local law enforcement to have all this military like in their area and stuff and like you know in Copland it's like about a small town New Jersey sheriff dealing with all these city cops that live in his neighborhood so like he's always sort of like not in charge of his own neighborhood and 
I kind of get the sense of that here, and I get it a lot with her, and that she is sort of fed up with that. And Tommy Lee Jones is there to able to fight that with her. And so I think that's really cool. Like, you see her sort of get, like, her grit back throughout the movie a little, you know, and, like, realize, like, I can do this. And, like, this is, you know, people actually start listening to her by the end and the guys who are barking at her at the beginning of the movie are saying goodnight to her at the end of the movie and stuff mm-hmm. so it's it's really interesting like the growth of this person it just feels very organic and like she's just amazing and I'm just so glad she's in this movie because like <laughs> we've been just talking about how she's got skills for days and and she has to like you know run around some of these action movies where she just doesn't really get to you know put them on full display but this is one of those occasions where like you could really tell like she showed up like she's it's her and Tommy Lee Jones for the most part and like yeah it's like a you know a full-on like acting like actor's class here yeah it's true it she the scene with Josh Brolin who we mentioned is her boss who they joke about her having had an affair with and then we learn actually might be the father of her child I think isn't that the implication we get from Mm -hmm. that scene oh I missed that but that makes sense okay yeah I think that's because she says you could play you can kind of play it both ways she's not coming out and saying it but when she's talking about he asks if her deadbeat ex goes to the kids games and she makes a joke about how the kid isn't very good at games doesn't want anybody to see and then he says something like he's not a he's not the kid's father anyway which could be read as either he's not acting like a father to his child Child, or he's not actually the father you are, but you at least get the sense that they have had some kind of romantic history, which in some ways in that scene, that part of the scene feels maybe like it had been inserted, like it wasn't part of the scene originally. Even if that's true, I'm glad it's there because it deepens their the complexity of their relationship and it increases the reasons she has to sort of prove herself because she in the back of her mind maybe she thinks in some way she maybe did get the job because uh, yep. of her yeah. relationship with yep. him like I think all that works really well for this scene and that's the first scene in the movie where I'm that I, I saw where I was like oh I see now where why she took this role like the, the, it begins to unfold her character begins to unfold in that scene it adds like a foundation of truth to the rumors which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm makes it more than just like institutionalized sexism it's like oh well they maybe have a point i mean they shouldn't they still shouldn't be doing that of course but like it's also like well they can see why you know maybe she's like the teacher's pet in a way even though it's clear that josh brolin does not like show any preferential treatment to her at all like maybe at one point she did or he did or whatever but you know i can see why they would be upset by that if that was true or even a little bit true yeah and, and, and it adds just a nice sort of complexity to it that makes it just feel more like a reality you know like inter-office sort of rumors yeah. and all that and then finding out behind the scenes oh like it might not be a rumor like I, I really just appreciate it because you don't really have a lot of time to dwell on charlie's relationship problems you know what I'm saying? it's not that kind of movie or anything so it's great that you can sneak these little things in there when they have the chance and, and they're in there there's just enough of that kind of stuff but what I did love seeing, and you know, Tobin mentioned it in that confrontation between her and Josh Brolin, so we get once again Charlize as mom, and we don't have a ton of it, but we get the sense that she's a good mom. You mm-hmm. know, maybe she's not in the kid's life a lot because she works a lot, but the kid seems well adjusted, and you know, I guess maybe craving a father figure in Tommy Lee Jones or whoever. But I just love seeing her because, like, we wanted Cage as dad for so long, and we never got that. <laughs> now, you know, we're finally getting to the part of her career 
where she has kids, and it's cool. Like, I mean, I just like to see the little, the variety, because, I mean, Keanu didn't really have kids either. Like, I guess that's also the difference between men and women in movies, right? Like, it's, mm, you're right. men are just like, they are the hero, and they have to be, you know, the sex icon, but a woman, like, of course she's a mom. Like, why, like, what else would she be if she's not a mom? And right, even right. in this movie, like, Tommy Lee Jones is a father, like, the, the central conceit of this movie is that his son went AWOL, they're trying to find where he is, very early in the movie we find out that the kid has been killed and dismembered, and that he has to be, he has to, he's trying to figure out who did it and why it happened and all this different stuff, but you still, like, never think, like, oh, he's a dad, like, you're just like, oh, he's a man out for justice, <laughs> whereas when you see her, she's like, oh, yeah, she's a mom. And I feel like that's Hollywood being Hollywood, I think, maybe. Well, then at the end of the movie, it emotional climax hinges on him as a dad. Like, it comes back to he, yeah. how, how he acted as a father and how he feels about that at the at the very end of the, or near the end of the movie when we hear the, or when we see a side of a phone call that he had with his son while his son was uh, in Iraq, where he basically tells him, don't cry in front of anybody. <laughs> like, he's, yeah. he's, you know, sort of enforcing this code of masculinity that, um, he that in retrospect it feels like it contributed perhaps to his demise, and I think that that's you're right that he's not playing it so much as a dad. In fact, he seems to be holding fatherhood at a, as much of a distance. It, fatherhood to him right. feels like yeah. a duty, right? Until the end, he realizes like, oh, this wasn't just a duty. Like this is my life, right? And and that's mm. it's an interesting turn. And uh, yeah, it's it's true though. You're right that they play. That there is something about women in movies when they're at a certain point in age. It feels like they have to then become you got to give him a kid. In this movie, though, it does feel sort of thematically relevant. Which I yeah. think is going to be, and we're not there yet in her career, but when we get to, like, young adult, like, it's such a subversion of, like, the type of character that she's supposed to be. Like, she is just a big kid who, like, is not able to take responsibility, and I think that's going to be interesting when we get there, but... You know, Charlize's mom is more and more prevalent as we go on. What I also liked about it in this movie, which I feel is pretty important, is, like, she's able to turn her job off and be the mom. And, you know, like, at the end of the night, like, she goes home and she cooks dinner and she tucks him in at night. And Tommy Lee Jones is pretty much stuck in, like, Terminator mode for most of this movie. And like Tobin said, like, he's put his sort of fatherhood at bay, it seems. Uh, like, we, he's a lifelong military man, too, so I could understand, like, maybe mm-hmm. that contributing a degree to, to why he, he acts that way. Sure. But we also find out in, like, the most matter-of-fact, and, like, this moment almost made me cry, just, like, out of nowhere, when he's sort of meeting with his old army buddy, and he asks how his other son, David, is. Mm-hmm. And you find out that he had another son that died in a training accident, but he just, like, mentions it like it you know what i'm saying like he's so yeah. cold about it it's just right. yeah very heartbreaking uh and then to find out that charlise's son is also named david i think is a moment it just adds to that moment in the bedroom where he's starting to realize oh maybe i have to act more like think more like a father and less like a detective to really figure out maybe not solve the crime but understand exactly what happened to my mm. son Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And you also get a real... Con- like, Susan Sarandon's not in this movie a ton, but, like, she has not let the death of David, like, leave her heart for, like, a minute. Like, she is bringing it up, and, like, she's angry. I mean, she's not really angry at... Really angry at Tommy Lee Jones, but she's angry at Tommy Lee Jones. You know what I mean? Like, for both of them having mm-hmm. died. Like, you yeah. stole both my sons. Like, couldn't you just leave me with one? It's like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was just so... I found it, like, such great writing and... Just the idea that she got on a plane to go see the remains and then just got right back on a plane and went home, like that that was like a little scene, like that just like blew me away. Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. it's just so powerful and so minimal. And like, it's just, she's looking through a window or she's looking like through a glass pane at her son. We don't see any, it's just so simple and so well done. And just like, yeah. Yeah. And such a part that could be 
overly hysterical and she does she you know she has to cry a lot you know and and so there susan sarandon can be very very effective and then i think sometimes with maybe some directors or some material she can also sort of from my taste kind of take things in to an extreme in some cases and i think she plays it just right down the line here there's a scene that that scene where she looks through the glass to, to see his remains and wants to go in and thinks he might be like she talks about how is he cold he looks cold. like it's just literally like his bones you know like some charred flesh and she's worried that he's cold on the table in there i mean it's just just as you say it's heartbreaking while we're on the topic of parenting i think one thing that this movie does really well is when tommy lee jones tells little david the bedtime story and he you know says about david versus goliath he's like you know you guys, sometimes you just got to conquer your fears you know i fight monsters all the time i would be crushed if i didn't win or whatever and then he leaves and he closes the door which we'd seen earlier in the movie that like the kid always likes to sleep with the door open as kids do, wants to feel, like, to see the light, feel close to his mom, whatever. And then Charlize is like, he likes to sleep with the door open, and Tommy Lee Jones is like, no, 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 he'll be good. And then the kid's like, door? So like, he wants to open the door. So I was like, I was so glad that, like, in two minutes, Tommy Lee Jones didn't, like, conquer ten years of, like, quote-unquote <laughs> yeah. failed parenting for Charlize. Like, oh, like, you just, like, you're you're raising a wuss. Like, just tell him a story about, like, how he'll be fine. Like, that's all you need. When he closed the door and the kid didn't say anything, I was like, oh, no, like, like, it feels like a shortcut that I just yeah, feels right. lazy right. when the kid yells, open the door again. I was like, okay, good. Like, of course, like, if you want to say, like, Tommy Lee Jones helped him, yes. But, like, <laughs> don't say, like, he solved this kid's issues yeah. in one story. Yeah, no, and and it's and then the fact that the, what the kid wants, then, is the door to just be opened a little bit. Not as much as it usually is. Yeah. That, that It's just, they just played that all, there's so many times in this movie where it could have been over the top or too easy or too glib, and it, it very often does not go that way, much to its credit. Yeah, I think another really interesting moment uh, where it sort of reminds you that Tommy Lee Jones isn't quite, like, the shit all the time, like, this amazing guy that you thought he was and stuff, is, like, when they, when they catch uh, Ortiz, you know, like you mentioned earlier, earlier Joey like when he starts like throwing racial epithets at this guy and like loses his shit and it kind of reminds you like oh god like he isn't perfect like you know like he's a person you know it's not he's not not the hero yeah but he beats the shit out of him with like a tire iron (laughs) right that and like he's so out of control that he hits (laughs) Hits Charlize in the face with it and like Mm -hmm. she then wears that bandage on her nose the rest of the movie and like looks mean and like it's super (laughs) cool like that's definitely gonna be the episode picture for this but like he's got like dad rage he just wants justice and like he's angry like even if he didn't outwardly show that he loved his son like it's clear that he cared about his son because he wants justice for him but yeah like you know whether he's calling him names or whatever but it is good to see that at the end of this movie all it takes to mend fences is just a little bit of Jim Beam <laughs> and raising flags up flagpoles I guess and stuff no Upside but I mean down, yeah but I just I did like that because again it's just a, another like sort of flourish it just it, makes them multi-dimensional and it's just a moment too that that needs to do it it's not drawn out you don't see him you know it comes up like then really that's it like he you know i don't feel like you he's very stubborn as a character mm-hmm. but this is like the only time he really loses his shit to say and like he, he's grieving hard as well so like kind of understandable to a degree i guess i mean uh, i just like it because he's fallible like he's he's not perfect and i don't think heroes are perfect and that's great you know and i'm not saying like they don't make him out to be like a a hero hero quote unquote or anything like that but you know he's trying to do things no one else really wants to do and like yeah he puts himself on the line like that so yeah and it just feels it does feel sort of organic to his character and not in a way that's pleasant right like it's it's not a good thing that 
that what comes to his mind are these, you know, are these race, racial slurs. It's, but yeah. it's, but it does feel like a true to who the who the character is, and you know, for he's so. You know he's very determined through the movie, but he's buttoned up so much. He's he's withholding so much, and so these moments where then it it does unleash, it unleashes, you know, it uncorks in, in a really sort of violent way. And of course that violence echoes back to what his son was going through and dealing with in Iraq. And we learned earlier that he was there are comments about him about the son being not equipped really for war for the military that that. He was just trying to either follow in his brother's footsteps or his father's footsteps. You know, Susan Sarandon says, like, what else could he do in this household to prove he's a man? Like, of course he had to join and go. In some ways, the movie is about how people are damaged by violence and how that violence then echoes out into the rest of their lives, too. And that this plays into that. And, like, you can see just, like, how bad... Like, the the movie really throws Mike, the son, off the deep end. Like, not only is he aggressive toward women and a drug addict and looking for meth but he's also like torturing Iraqis mm-hmm. and like I think another really effective way that the movie sets up a payoff later is early on when he first starts meeting his sons when Tommy Lee Jones first starts meeting his sons platoon mates or whatever his his fellow soldiers Franco. they're like oh you're, you're Doc's dad and they're like oh oh right Doc. Doc yeah they're calling him and Doc like, yeah. like yeah it's, a, it's his nickname that doesn't make any sense that was almost enough of a dismissal. I was like, oh, I guess we're just not going to know it. Like, that's just thing. And then, like, <laughs> later it comes back and, like, oh, no, he's just sticking his finger in, like, Iraqi's wounds and, like, pretending he's a medic just to torture them. It's like, oh, this guy is, like, broken. Like, he's very broken. Yeah. And whether it's war, whether it's his father, whether it's a combination of the two, probably that. It's terrible. It's, it's harrowing. I mean, and it's not just him either. Like, this is his story, but, like, you know, his the guys that killed him right like they're not all there either right like they didn't come back in one piece and you look at where these guys have to go to hang out when they are home strip clubs they go to like six different strip clubs in this movie within you know like a 30 mile radius yeah they're not exactly getting they're not i don't feel like they're being taken care of properly when they're back home you know right, and getting right. what they need and and i don't think that's necessarily the soldier's problem i just think right. it's it's the institution it's just right. you know at this point there's a system in place that is just so hard to break from but luckily art and film and and books and stuff like you know stories of this can be told and you know things can hopefully start to change at some point like it creates a, an awareness in the general public that almost isn't even there in the army to to a degree Back to what you were saying earlier, Mike, about the limey. I hadn't made that connection, but you're totally right. In not only is this about an older guy who's out to sort of avenge his child, but the fact that what he learns is that he bears, he has to reckon with his own complicity in his child's death, and that that's sort of the ultimate thing the movie turns on in in, in its climax. I think is. I guess kind of remarkable. Another reason this may be in my <laughs> another button of mine that this movie pushes that does really well. Did you? What did you guys think of the ending? It's complicated. Felt like it was real, but it, it's not like movie climax satisfying mm-hmm. to that. You know, to the degree that you get, I feel like a major conclusion. I don't know. I liked it though because it felt realistic, but it doesn't feel like someone like hit it. You know what I'm saying? Like it just didn't, didn't have the impact that mm-hmm. I usually expect from the from a climax but i did like it in this case i felt it worked the movie's based on it's it's inspired by actual events 
and this is inspired by someone who was actually like it was something in georgia i believe based on the true story of a soldier richard davis who after returning from a tour in iraq disappeared his father who spent 20 years in the army began an investigation turned out that davis was murdered by four other soldiers who served with him on the tour the four men have been sentenced to prison two for life another for 20 years another for five years i feel like the movie's wrap-up of one person you know getting a deal and not getting enough prison time and seemingly everybody else getting away with it except for the guy who kills himself feels a little bit more of an indictment of like or sort of more like anti-war not propaganda but sort of propaganda i'm always the thing that i'm always fascinated by in movies is like when the central whatever wraps up like whether it's a movie with like a big twist like when the twist comes or in this movie when they actually figure out who the murderer is and it comes with like 20 minutes left which i feel like is sort of like a lot of time but it also sort of gives you time to sort of decompress a little bit and you get a little nice coda with charlize and tommy lee jones talking and like i think it works i don't know if it's i I liked it i wasn't you know blown away by it but i like the ending i do feel like it's missing something i i felt like i didn't quite i feel like they didn't quite knit together all of the stories well enough or, or there's you know the the reasons for the murder seem so disconnected from the uh investigation of the murder and that mm-hmm. can be that can be fine and this may have been a more hollywood way to go although i think the movie is trying to be a hollywood movie i mean we've talked about how nicely it's paced and how the scenes very often veer away from the obvious choices and that's all true but i do think there are times especially where, with, where the music comes in uh, where it goes to- leans into some of the like it's, try- it's trying to be a little overly manipulative I think at times especially there's this clo- the song at the very end there's like oh, a yeah, vocal that's, track it's yeah. just a horrible choice I don't Bad. know who <laughs> that was who. rough and, 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 then, and there's a moments where the voice drops out of that and you have just the instruments like that's fine but like this woman singing about drones and children and it's just it's just awful So so I don't think that the movie is deliberately trying to be like a super indie version of this story. And so, I don't know, I feel like it, maybe they're just like two or three notches tighter bringing all the storylines together. And I don't have a real good mm-hmm. fix for it, but I, I do feel like they didn't quite stick the ending. Not the ending with Tommy Lee Jones. I think he ends just just fine. But yeah. the stuff in terms of the ending of the case didn't fully resolve for me. Yeah, part of, part of I think, my issue with the confession, as it were, is... I wasn't sure if I believed him. Like, it, it, you know, like we didn't really spend all that much time with these guys enough to know they're telling the truth all that much. I mean, this guy's good. I recognize him from The Expanse, so I uh-huh, kind of uh-huh. brought yeah. some of that stuff with me. And he has that one scene where he's talking to Timely Jones and he starts crying in the parking lot and stuff. And you're like, what the fuck is up with this guy? Like, something something happened. Uh, and then the one guy shows up and he has hanged himself and stuff. But, like, yeah, I, I don't... I Maybe if it didn't take place in an interrogation room and Timely Jones, like, had to track him down and caught him, like, on the border or something and they had the talk in the car before... Mm-hmm. Like the SWAT comes, you know, it just felt like I want like everything up until this point. I agree, it is it is Hollywood, but I just felt in the sense of like the tone and style, it, it feels reserved to a yeah, degree yes. in yes. an indie way and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wanted it to go full Hollywood at the end. There, <laughs> you know, I wanted like <laughs> yeah. that adaptation moment where he's chasing him down again and hits him with his car <laughs> again or something. <laughs> but yeah, and that we don't get it. I don't know. It, it kind of takes the wind wind out of some of it a little bit, but it. it makes it up 
at, again at the end there when I think I really like when he go, goes home and hangs the flag so yeah well I think a counter argument to that is that the fact that it ends in the interrogation room sort of gives a satisfying conclusion to Charlize's story that like she yeah. was right in true. all of this true true that call. it Good was call. her police work that even though behind closed doors it had already been resolved quote unquote resolved she actually follows connects the dots and follows through and everything and is like you know, this doesn't mean anything, but I want to get closure for both me and for his father. And that's what I yeah. liked about it. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. if it played out more cinematically or if it was, you know, I, I like the idea of a, a talk at the border or whatever. But I think that because I was watching this for Charlize, it feels like as the clearly the second most important character in this movie behind, like, it's it's Tommy mm-hmm. Jones and a real big gap and then Charlize. I liked that it got her... A, a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, that yeah. I, I appreciated that about it. Yeah, that's cool. She she kind of swoops in and steals the moment, right? Like, it, which has happened to her character so many times of right? North Country, like at the <laughs> yeah, trial yeah. scene, right? right? When Jenkins stands up for her and stuff. It's like, no, now this is this. It's pretty cool. Like, I didn't realize that. Like, her character wins. Like, she does it. It's not like I mean, they do it together, yes, but like she's the one that goes like notices the signatures and pulls the files and ultimately like stands up to the dude at the army and everything. And so, yeah. That's that's really cool. Now that I think about it, and and it also just reinforces that like Tommy Lee Jones can't do it all by himself. Like you know, like this guy like need needed help, and, and like a girl, a woman came along and like helped him, and like did it, you know, not did it for him or anything, but I'm just saying like he couldn't mm-hmm. do it without her. Yeah. So that's nice. And that does feel true. Like I, something Island has said on a previous podcast for on our show on the contenders that to not see that okay they're gonna like the jurisdiction issues in this movie hold like they they tussle over what jurisdiction these murders are in and like that that's something they have to deal with not something that just gets to sort of be waved away for for hollywood's sake so that is a a a plus side for this movie that she's the one that has to that has to pull the strings and and threaten jason patrick in that great scene in order to get tommy lee jones into that interrogation room as opposed to like tommy lee jones like finding his way in there i i do i'm glad the movie does that and that's what i mean what i mean i i don't think it's the scenes themselves i think it's something about the central mystery that doesn't feel as tied to the theme that we've been learning about like david and goliath and all this stuff as it has been like i feel like there should have been maybe one more sinister level to the conspiracy that wasn't that wasn't actually there yeah you know i thought franco was gonna come into this yeah, big time totally. <laughs> and that he was like the mastermind you know, but no he's you know, like Mike, he's just there. I, i'm sure you know like joe too and i have talked for so long about doing a james franco podcast like, i can't imagine like he's been in i think honestly close to 200 movies like he is just in everything all the time and I can't imagine having to watch this movie for him. Like, he just shows yeah. up. I'm like, oh, cool. He's going to be a huge character. And, like, he just is there. He's like a secretary. He's like, oh, yep. here you go, Mr. Sir. Here you go, Mr. Sir. Like, he just, like, directing people down the hall. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's a big name to get for literally a part that anybody could play. Right. Yeah, it was some nice misdirection, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what that was. But, like, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's funny that it's like he is a secretary. That's like they got a really attractive guy to play, like, a role that a really attractive woman would normally play in a movie, I guess. I don't know. It's something, maybe there's something there in that. Like, he's now regulated to a role that Charlize would have in an earlier role, and now she's playing, like, the lead. So that's kind of nice. I don't know. Well, what I did like, and it, it is sexist, but it is the old man shouting at the cloud 
type of sexist. <laughs> but when Tommy Lee Jones first shows up to the police station and talks to the secretary, he's like, I need help with this or whatever. She's like, oh, you need to go to the military police because it's their jurisdiction. He, they fight for a little bit. He's like, how about I talk to someone whose job isn't just to answer the phone? It's like, oh, like not being sexist, just like being degrading to the profession that she's in. But it was just like this very intimidating, like, oh, he's not going to leave. Like, it's just, you're not going to be able to get rid of him right, at right. all in this movie. And I like that little moment. There are all kinds of t- moments like that that Charlize echoes. They, they seem mirrors of each other in the in their mm. kind of glib one-liners, you know, that feel more, uh, th- that I really like. I like that kind of sarcastic power banter. You know, when it's it feels more earned in this than it does in a lot of TV procedurals that traffic in the same kind of thing. Uh, and very often has to do with these characters who just will not let this go. And that's something that is, like that's an old noir staple. And yeah, it's another another button this movie pushes, <laughs> pushes for me. I love it when they talk like that. <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's any other notes. Do you, do, Mike, do you have anything else you want to say about In the Valley of Ella? Let me check over some of this stuff here. While you're looking, this is, I think, I was trying to go back. I think this is only the second time that Charlize has been a cop. She was also a cop in Hollywood Confidential, which barely counts. Which, that, yeah, she's actually, a, she's a detective here, so that's... Yes. That's a but I really want to see more. Like, I don't know if we get... I'm trying to. I'm yeah. trying to think. I didn't really do too much thing. I don't want like too far ahead. Like, but, like I want to get more of this because she's great in this dude, type of role. She is so great when she gets in people's faces and like tells mm-hmm. them like, no, like this is the law. Like this is what it says. Like you know, like you can't push her around in this movie. It's so great. It's like I didn't even get that from her in Eon Flux. And I feel like you know, of all the characters, like Eon Flux should have gone up to people and like been in their face and been like, no, like listen to me. Like I'll kick your ass, kind of thing. Uh, but here, like. Yeah, she is so commanding and just like, I don't know, what a presence. Like, it's just so great. I want to see her, yeah, take charge and yell at people more. I mean, like, there's a moment in this movie where I I was, like, thinking of, like, Pacino level of, like, cop outrage. I was like, yeah, like, she's going to, like, start screaming and going, like, rah, or something. Like, and it's and it's going to work for her, too. But she didn't quite go there. She's not that operatic in her performances. She's But maybe one day, who knows, to <laughs> see, but... Yeah, definitely got to get her a badge again. Yeah, and a Sorkin movie. That's what this Ooh. made me think of, is that to deliver... Because he, he writes some of the best tell-offs in movies and TV, and I, I, I can't remember them ever working together before, and I feel like after seeing this... Uh, that she could really sink her teeth into one of his sort of arias that that ends up sort of telling somebody off. Uh, I think that I think she'd be really good. In Sorkin's newest movie, in Molly's Game, it's sort of like a gender flip. But the je- that's movie's like all that's Jessica Chastain's movie the same way that Tommy Lee Jones is here. But like in that movie, uh, Idris Elba gets like the two best speeches, and it's like whoa. And so I feel like here it's does sort he of cancel the, same the thing. apocalypse in that movie? <laughs> He's just like the man when it comes to speeches. Like it's just incredible. He's so Stringer good. Bell. Is you taking notes on a? Criminal conspiracy. Clean that up just a little bit for you. Um, there was one other thing I want to say. Oh, the the other note that I had was that I really liked, and I don't know if it was a reference to Jaws or a little nod to Jaws, but I liked that there's a little Jaws moment when they're at dinner and Tommy Lee Jones starts praying, and then little David oh, like yeah. sort of mimics him mm-hmm. and like just like peeking behind the fingers like to see like if he's still doing it. And Charlie's just like watching, just like what's this kid up to now? Like I just I just like that little moment. All that stuff is handled so well. Then that's then basically the whole scene. And he she he asks if if he can like can I get you like serve you some dinner and she says sure and hands in the plate and then it cuts to their washing dishes like all that those character moments I think are handled just beautifully in this movie yeah there's a real just economy to everything here like he's just 
real I feel like he's left nothing but meat on the bones, you know, like there's mm-hmm. no fat in this movie whatsoever. And I'm not I mean, I'm I'm familiar with his writing, but I'm not sure if I've seen another movie Haggis has directed. I want to. I mean I wanna see another after seeing this one if they're if they're as good as this. You know what I would suggest you watch if you haven't is he didn't write it actually, but he directed the Show Me a Hero miniseries on HBO. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, okay. w- with um, with Oscar Isaac. Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Oh, as the yeah. mayor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's okay. really, really. I think it's really good. And he's not the he's not the mayor. He's like a councilman. He's city councilman. Okay, okay. Yeah, right, yeah. And right. it's a ho- like a housing dispute thing, right? Like it's a you know. Yeah. Um, but it's a Real David Simon. Uh, David Simon wrote oh, it. Right, oh right, right. Okay, cool. Right, so it's like the wire mixed with this kind of economy of, of visual storytelling, and I think I that's I like that's my favorite thing he's directed in terms of the actual just camera to action directing. So Paul Haggis, according to Letterbox, has directed six things: something called Red Hot, which is another picture, which I don't know what that is. The next three days, which is a Russell Crowe movie that I haven't seen. Huh. Crash, which we talked about in the Valley of Ella, Show Me Hero, and then also. Another movie, which was my least favorite movie from what year was this? 2013, Third Person. Did either of you see Third Person? No, but I can't believe that he directed Crash and then this. Like, this is so superior. It feels like a completely different director. So Third Person is a movie in... I'm just going to spoil it because it's garbage. Uh, Third Person is a movie in which Liam Neeson is like a writer, and literally everyone he comes in contact with in the entire movie is a character in his book. And it is, like, oh. <laughs> the most ham-fisted, like, twist at the end. I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I hated the movie already. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, no. Was it, I feel no. like there was a good version of that where Will Ferrell was, like, a character or might have been. Yeah, yeah, Stranger 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 that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Check that out. <laughs> this is real bad. And James Franco is in, is in that, bad. too. He's in third person yep. as well. Yeah. Oh, man. And maybe that's why he's in. No, that, this was first. So maybe, yeah, this I don't was know. first, Who knows? yeah. It, this feels like a favor, doesn't it? This yeah. For Franco, well, yeah. I don't know. Like, what was he doing? In, I mean, like, he's been around forever, but like, what was he doing in 07? Like, was he really like James Franco in 07? Oh, I guess he not. was. I think so. I think he was a ra- becoming James Franco. Is that a thing? <laughs> is that a movie? <laughs> it will be next <laughs> next week. Yeah. Because I remember, like, at what point did he start going to like four different grad schools? Because I feel like it's, during it's those after times, that, like. Yeah. It's a, okay, because then he could have just been like cameoing and stuff. Because he really he went from like Spider Man and Flyboys to like stoner comedy. movies. <laughs> this is the same year as Spider Man Three. And Holy it's the year, shit! The year before Pineapple Express. Okay, yeah. Right. So he and you know we've got Flyboys before that. Like he's you know he's been in stuff. He's not okay. New. Yes, but maybe not a favor. I mean, I guess you know, look after Crash anybody's going to say yes to whatever he needs. And also mm. there may have been more of him. He may have had more parts that got cut. Like it, it, ha- it does have, because, it, because it is so economic, I wonder if maybe there were things that were excised yeah. as they went. James Franco got a really good interview on Mark Maron's podcast. It was like two hours long. It was really, really good. But he just sort of seems to say yes to everything. Like he did a stint <laughs> on like Days of Our Lives or one of the shows yeah. because they're like, yeah, yeah. hey, right. we want to write you. And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like I want to do that. Like why would I not want to do that? And like he just says yes to everything, I think. So maybe it's as obvious as, oh, this guy made Crash. I want to be in his movie. Or maybe just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I'm on site for three days. Sure. Why not? Like. Who knows? I get the I get to hang out with Tommy Lee Jones for a day. Sure, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I would I would do a movie just to hang out with Tommy Lee Jones. Of course, <laughs> I think we all would. Oh, <laughs> also Paul. the other note that I have about this is that uh, Paul Haggis wrote this part with Charlize in mind. So that's I think oh. not the first time, but one of the first times hmm. that we've had that come up. So that's pretty cool. I think always when that happens. Tell me even in the notes about this movie. 
only that in addition to the to Franco, we've got Zoe Kazan plays the young woman whose husband or boyfriend is drowning. Is it really? Yeah. I did not recognize her. I yeah. knew she looked familiar, but I didn't. I couldn't place her. I've been having now that trouble me, lately. Now you have me second guessing myself. I don't know that it is her because I love her. Has to be. I mean, she's only in that moment and she's crying her eyes out and like screaming profanity. Well, then she shows up dead so. in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. It is her. Yeah, Angie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. And, and, wow. Yeah. Francis Fisher, who, who, speaking of the the uh, connection to Clint Eastwood, who shows up topless serving. Oh uh, yeah. At a bar, right? And 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 gets gives Tommy Lee Jones shit for calling her ma'am. <laughs> there there are a lot of those little. And then we talk about um, Josh Brolin and Jason Patrick. There are people who show up in this movie that um, have these these you know great little kind of very often great little character moments and I enjoyed sort of I kept writing their names in my notes with little exclamation points excited to see all these people so yeah this is a this is a movie people should see what I thought was really funny was that when Francis Fisher comes back unrecognizable in the coffee shop and like takes him like a while like this guy who is hunting (laughs) like pouring over photographs looking for clues he's like who are you because like she's maybe Mike this might be my ultimate defense of hair blindness she's not wearing (laughs) a wig she's also not topless (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, she comes up and he's just like, I don't know who you are. And she says, ma'am. Even that, he's just like, what? He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a real thing. I believe it. I, you know, <laughs> when we recorded last night, I got, I admitted that I couldn't tell Jane the same Levy, actress. Yep. Jane Levy, apart in two movies. So it's true. Hair blindness, <laughs> awareness month from Cage Club. <laughs> Get that looked at. <laughs> all right. So if we all are all ready, we are now going to play the game that Tobin played a couple episodes ago. We are going to link this movie to four other Charlie's movies. Ooh, all right. We have done 27 things. So we ah, don't count this. You guys are deep here. Yeah. So we are going to link this movie to Trial and Error. Do you know what Trial and Error is? Oh, <laughs> That's so familiar. No, Kramer's it's in a it. Jeff Daniels and, Jeff and Kramer movie. <gasps> right. I've never seen it, but I am vaguely aware of it. Yeah. Well, we're going to link it because, Mike, while yep. I do this, why don't you explain to Tobin what Charlie's does in that movie? So she works at a diner, but she happened upon this small desert town when she got a flat tire, pulled over to the side of the road, and decided, this seems like a nice place to live. I'm going to stay in I'm this exact stay spot. <laughs> in the spot that she broke down on the side of the road she has like a trailer and everything and that's that was her story in the movie to jeff daniels and he's like yeah you seem normal i'm gonna chill with you it is like oh, wow. the most manic pixie dream girl that she's ever been like it is to huh. a t you know speaking of zoe kazan just a couple of minutes ago she has really you know lived up that moniker like this is crazy so we're gonna link this to that we're going to link this also to hollywood confidential which is great Uh-oh. because it's a tv movie that Tobin, you don't have to see it, but she's a cop and that, so that's going to be easy. Okay, and that's going to be okay. the first time we think we can actually link that, Mike, which is good. We're going to link this to Eon Flux, and we're going to link this to uh, 15, do you know 15 Minutes? God, this again, this is so familiar. De Niro and Ed Burns. <gasps> yes, I've not seen it, though. I've not seen it, but I'm, again, familiar with it. This is a, she plays a madam. <laughs> yeah, let's play, let's do a different one. Oh, we'll, and North Country. We'll link it also to North Country. Oh, no, I have seen 15 Minutes. Yes, I did. I saw the 15 Minutes in the theater, as a matter of fact. Okay, so we are going to link. What were the five we're going to do? We're going to do Hollywood Confidential. We'll, do, we'll just do six, because I did six. Hollywood Confidential, Trial and Error, Eon Flux, North Country, 15 Minutes, in the Valley of Ella. <laughs> okay, so I think the way, the place to start is that in Hollywood Confidential, she's like a rookie cop or something or whatever. I think that somehow she gets transferred from that terrible L.A. office 
to the middle of nowhere Tennessee and works her way up to be a traffic cop and then into a detective. So that's linking those two. And Mike, I don't think we ever have to link Hollywood Confidential again. We have done it. Check it off the list. I'll link Trial and Error to Hollywood Confidential. I'll go that. Is that cool? Can I? Sure, sure. Um, in that movie, Jeff Daniels is a lawyer and he gets like what like he gets sick the day of his trials or his best friend is Kramer and Kramer has to take over as fake lawyer and it's a terrible movie but Charlize <laughs> is in it and she and Jeff Daniels end up together in that movie Jeff Daniels is like kidnapped or disappears and she goes looking for him but she she becomes a like she goes to Hollywood becomes a cop and she, she gets sidetracked so instead of looking for Jeff Daniels she joins like this group of TMZ cops because that's like what they were basically right like they were like Ford Fairlanes yeah. they like reported on <laughs> Hollywood crimes and stuff they were like wannabe a- they were also some some of them were like wannabe actors who also just happened to like be cops that's true I don't know if that's a strong strong enough journey there. it's fine this is a weird game it's totally fine <laughs> so now Tobin can you link the story that we have built to either 15 minutes North Country or Eon Flux well I wonder if maybe she no okay so how about this how about the I don't know when Hollywood Confidential takes place what what era late 90s is that? yeah it's like okay, 99 so how, how about this she comes trial and error was before that I feel like trial and error maybe then is she's on she's like left the north country town and is on the oh, like oh a that's career. a good call okay yeah, and so reinvents herself as a mm. as in the trial and error to Hollywood Confidential to this movie as a cop right so then what happens, obviously, is that she gets frozen. Wait, 15 or, minutes. I'm not, I'm leaving you because I have no idea how to, how, to, how to integrate 15 minutes. <laughs> but her DNA gets taken and then she is transported to the future where she is cloned into being Eon Flux. So Mike, you, any way you want, however you want to slice in 15 minutes. Oh, wait, oh, no, I, I have an idea. Sorry to, to jump this in, but... No, go for it. Our guest, Austin Wolf Southern's favorite characters in that movie, don't remember them, two European guys... <laughs> they are making a movie. They somehow I don't know. I need you, I'm going to alley oop this to you. I need you to slam it home. They somehow make a movie that gets into the hands of the Hollywood Confidential Police. Okay, you know how? Okay, so they make those <laughs> tapes of like murders and stuff and everything. Yep. Um, what if these are the guys called in on the case after De Niro is killed and Ed Burns loses his shield? So they called the Hollywood Confidential crew to come to New York. Use their expertise to Love solve it. this fame crime of yep. want to be famous people. Guys. Yep. Done and done. <laughs> wow. Makes absolute total sense. I also cannot wait to end this game because like, I, it is the weirdest game that we've done. I also don't know what we're going to do for episodes 31 through 40, but I feel like we should really do ep- games, Mike, for like seven episodes because <laughs> after that, like we are just like, oh, it is on the downhill. So maybe wow. we'll change that up for 31 <laughs> or whatever. But Well, Tobin, over on Contenders, you guys play different games every episode? That's all Iceland, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, she, Okay, brainchild. We played a fun game when I was on for the um, for the episode I was on where we like took a character from the movie we watched and inserted that into other movies that that was a lot of fun that might i might want to see if we could carry a version well, of that over two things about that number one if you're listening to this episode as it comes out that episode of the contenders came out this week so you can go listen to the winter's bone episode with mike and tobin and Iceland. but number two what i was actually just thinking today of mike was 
for Too Fast, Too Forever, when we do pit stops and talk about movies that aren't Too Fast, Too Forever, one game I was going to play, I haven't even told Joe this, this is a real exclusive, is <laughs> I want to pretend, like if we talk about like Spring Breakers, for instance, tie this movie into the world of the Fastiverse, and just like, how does this relate to that? So I, I really like that idea, wow. that's the thing that I was already thinking of, that Eisen apparently already thought of, we could definitely adapt that into however we play episodes 31 through 40. It could cool. be cool to take her character from whatever movie it's in and ha- like randomly pick an earlier Charlize movie and put Ooh. her in that. Oh, like, that would be cool too. Retrofit yeah. this character into you know, like I'm imagining this character in Celebrity, right? Instead of like if he runs into this woman instead of the woman at the bar, like what that would do to that movie. I, there, there, there are lots of fun things you could do. Another idea that I just had that's sort of uh, inverse of that, but it's the same idea is take her from whatever movie you're talking about and put her in the big release of the weekend that this movie comes oh, out. Yeah, so, that's like, good. That's how would she fit into Solo, for instance, or whatever? Right, that's a good idea. We've, we've got ideas now. These are fun games. Maybe now we'll do I, a couple different ones. Now I just want a Charlize Theron Star Wars movie. <laughs> I got that in my head. Forget about Solo this Friday. Like, I'll wait three years for this. I mean, we got Laura Dern in Star Wars, and like that's probably as close true, as we're going to get to Charlize, and that's just... You know, that was wonderful. Got to so give beautiful. Tobin a, a lustful sigh for Laura Dern. Big so okay, so for the <laughs> Charlize Theron Awards, perhaps the Golden Wallpapers, perhaps the Golden Teeth, I nominated this movie for. Let me see here, six different things. Wow. I nominated for best film. Mm-hmm. Had that for best role. Definitely had that. Most badass role. Oh yeah, yeah. Which we only so far had Eon Flux, so we needed some kind of competition. Yeah, this there. definitely fits. I mean, that's eventually going to go to Fury Road. Furios, right? Not uh, absolutely. Oh. That's or, that's the well, thing that like it's going to be between really... her and Atomic Blonde. Oh, probably. Yeah. right. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a fight. We yeah, are going okay. to really pare this list down because we're at like twenty something, <laughs> like a yeah. crazy amount of awards. I, I don't want anything that like eighty percent of the public is going to vote on one choice. Um, yeah. So if, as yeah. long as we have like two different things, I think that's worth. Even though like I feel like anything we nominate Mad Max for, it's gonna win. So, but we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. I also nominated this for Best Freakout, which is a line that we actually didn't talk about yet. Was when she talks about when she's threatening Jason Patrick, I think, about you know you better do this or I'm gonna like come down here and arrest every single one of your soldiers who's even like one one thousandth of a BAC point ahead yep. and he's like you're not gonna like last and she's like I'm gonna do it on my own time and I have a pretty good union so I suspect like four to five weeks like this whole like you know yeah. I'm gonna lose my job in a month but like I don't care because I'm gonna make your life a living hell for a month and I was like yes that rules <laughs> like how many DUIs you think I could Right up in yep. a month. Right? Yep. <laughs> yep. So great. And then I also nominated Tommy Lee Jones for Best Male Actor and also Susan Strandon for Best Female non charlize Actress. So, yeah, good. aside from those six, is there anything else about this movie that you guys liked enough that we should either nominate for an existing category or add a new category to recognize? I pretty much had the same as you. Just thinking now, as far... I know we got enough categories, but seeing Franco in this just made me wonder, like, would this... Would there be, like, a, a weird cameo category? Like, are there enough... Have we run into enough of these, or is this just hmm. sort of like a one-off <laughs> that we're going to get here? Because it just seems like he deserves something some kind of it's just so weird and obscure it's like why is he here but uh no otherwise like i I, i'm good with what you got because i I basically i I don't know if we want to nominate 
Paul Haggis. I don't know if we're doing best director or anything. We're but, not. Uh, yeah, we no, we I didn't think yet. so. No, I don't know if we need to do go that far. Um, I, I kind of want to keep it as close to Charlize as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all about giving James Franco awards, but I'm looking through and like I don't even remember <laughs> half these movies. Like I remember what the movies are about, but like I don't remember who's in them. You know well, what like I mean? she so. would be nominated for 15 minutes in that category, and the right? Woody Allen movies and stuff. Yeah, just like yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess we can pass on that. Tobin, anything else about this movie that you think is worthy of an award? I've not seen anywhere near the number of these movies that you have. This does seem to be in the an era where she is sort of deliberately dressing down, going for the, a non-glamorous role. She's got this yep. brown hair. It's kind of like Monster being, right, the the <laughs> er version of that. And I wonder if that's – I'm not sure that that fit, it fits a category, but I think it it's played really well here. I think it's not, it's not too much. It doesn't feel like – you know, look, I'm trying to, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it does, didn't feel overdone. It just, it, it seemed to work for me here. Because I know she's got, like, I didn't see it yet, but Sully, but, you know, she's Sully. Tully. And Tully is not Captain Chesley yeah. Steven Sullenberger. But that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. But, like, in that movie, souls she, in, that plane. <laughs> in that movie, you know, she deliberately tried to get out of shape and do all that. So, I mean, maybe we could do a non-glamorous category or something. I don't know if that's... We have a category for best Charlie's outfit slash wardrobe. So we can say best maybe understated, most understated. I just think it's something that she's very known for doing is for if for doing role because she is such a, a traditionally glamorous person. Like you think, look at the Dior yep. commercials that she does and, the, you know, like she she is she is that sort of level of conventional attractive. And, and there are a lot of there seem to be a lot of movies where she fights against that really hard. So maybe I, I again, maybe you have to wait and see how many more you get. But if you end up with that kind of category, then I feel like yeah. this should be this should be in there in the mix. We can say most dressed down persona, maybe or most dressed down appearance. Yeah, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Monster in the Valley of Ella. Is there anything else that we have done so far? I'm trying to think back. I'm not sure if North Country. No, I don't necessarily because oh, she's for kind sure. of like that haircut yeah. she has is not attractive. Like they're there's <laughs> they're they're not going for glamour. They're going for there's a trashy quality to to her in that movie. I, I think that does fit. Look, and I guess what I'm saying is any movie where she gets as dirty with like coal dust as she gets in that movie, she is fighting against being a cover girl. And I think that that's something she deliberately takes roles, it seems to me, to fight against that because she has to prove she can do more than just look pretty, which obviously she can, but I feel like she right. has to go to extra lengths that some other actors or actresses don't have to go Mike, do you think we should nominate Mighty Joe Young? No, she's <laughs> she looks like amazing for someone who lives in. the Oh yeah, she also has that party and is really dressed. Well, like there is a sort of like uh, she's all that moment where like she she's dressed yeah. out, she's in her outdoor clothes, and then she goes to the party like, mm-hmm. oh my god, which we even commented on. Yeah, but she's also like looks amazing, just like in the jungle in khaki shorts and like all right. a, an oversized gonna... shirt and stuff like that. It's hard. You're gonna get more. I don't think you need to look go look back for a lot of them. There there are more coming. I think you could even. You could add Fury Road to this too, as as a. I mean, she's missing an arm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. deliberate spoilers of her of her image. <laughs> is you know, yes, yeah, spoilers. Well, she's missing it when the movie starts. So, <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, I, I just that's the only other thing I could. No, I like it. I like it. I I added it. I do like it. Right, let's roll with it. It's cool, cool, cool. Thank you. So next week, Mike, we have a very special episode. We have a. 
two podcast crossover episode. Oh man! Watch the Ooh. Throne meets Magic Mike's Battle in Seattle. It's going to be the same <laughs> episode on both feeds. It doesn't sound like Battle in Seattle's the movie title. It yeah, sounds it like this yeah. is like going to be a Battle <laughs> in Seattle like of podcasts. <laughs> but what's going to be super exciting about that one is that we are going to play all the games and all the segments from both of these shows. We're going to nice. do it on one. So I can't imagine. Like, I, th- I thought to myself, because I edit both of those podcasts, oh, it's going to save me work. I'm only going to edit one podcast instead of two. But there's no way it's going to check in at like, anything less than two and a half hours. Like, it's going to be <laughs> a mammoth episode. Even if, like, neither of them are in the movie, just a segment count alone, we're going to have to, like, run, like, roll out the red carpet for all this. So we will do everything. It's going to be a super fun episode. I can't wait. Joe, too, from the Magic Mike's podcast, my co-host, will be here with, as he's known over there, Resident historian Mike Manzi, the three of us will tackle Battle in Seattle. So, super excited. That's on Amazon Prime, I think. If you want to watch it, get ahead of it. Go check it out. But, Tobin, thank you for being here. Thank you for letting Mike and me be on your show both this episode and the next episode. We're going to be on The Contenders, the episode that came out this week and in two weeks. So, thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you guys. Those were both fun conversations. Everybody should check them out. Well, for all things Watch the Throne and Magic Mics and The Contenders, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod. Now on Twitter and Instagram. Go follow us on Instagram. Uh, Check out all the fun things that we do over there. Watch Kyle eat uh, 30-year-old gum. (laughs) That was amazing. I still can't believe he did that, but... He did that. But yeah, so go check out that on Instagram now. It's new since last time. Like, we haven't recorded an episode of this in like three weeks. We try to do it more, you know, up-to-date, more modern. But so much has happened. We have a new Instagram now. So, I mean, that alone is remarkable. So go check us out over there. Cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram, and email us, watch at cageclub.me. Let us know what you think of movies. Let us know what you think of Charlize. Let us know what you think of categories that we're adding to the award show. Whatever you want to do, let us know. We will read it on air. Also, fingers crossed, you will hear mail from Magic Mike's on the next episode. So if that's not enough incentive to get you writing emails into this show, I don't know what is. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time. Super crossover edition. Watch the throne.